On this episode of Go Check Yourself, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 4, Chuck versus the Business Trip. That's right. We're going on a business trip. You are seated between me and Aaron, and we're going to talk your ears off about this episode of Chuck. <laughs> Brace yourself. Chuck versus first class. You're not it's in not. first class. You are it's... in business class with us. There is no leg room. These seats are very uncomfortable. Aaron is going to be, I'm going to tell you right now, she's kind of a little bit of a hog with the armrest. So you better <laughs> really true. hold that elbow firm. That's what this episode is all about. Oh, the pilot's coming on. I better better quiet down. Yes, here we are. We're headed to that business trip to take care of serious business. Although, if you're a longtime listener of Go Chuck Yourself, you know that we take care of business every week here on Go Chuck Yourself, unless we are on an extended hiatus. But that's not the case right now. We're taking care of business right now. This is a business week. We are at nine to five. We're all the time working really hard. My name is Chris Gillespie. I don't know where I'm going with this introduction. My name is Aaron Arata. Um, I'm very tired. Just just kind of lost my momentum that I had here at the top of the episode. So this is going to be a weird one. OK, yeah, I saw the I <laughs> the wind just left from Aaron's sails. <laughs> I saw it go across her face. Uh, she had I, I believe you were out. Uh, you had you were out last night and you were clubbing. I was clubbing. I hadn't. Um, I mean, I, I definitely hadn't clubbed during covid, but I would not really say I have clubbed much before in my life. Um but I, I did club last night um, uh-huh. and it was it was fun, but I uh, didn't get home until very late and I am tired. So it was kind of like um, what was uh, Chuck versus the the big salami. What is that episode called? Salty meats. Uh, the heart imported hard salami. Yes. Um, they, they go to club and that it was pretty much like that club. There wasn't it, it wasn't as like full of Greek men and muscle teas. Um, but it was, it was kind of the same vibe. It was an L.A. club. That was I am stunned. That was a masterful reference to Deep an bowl. episode from the first season. <laughs> and I was like, how is But then now that you mention it, I do yeah. remember them going to a club. And they that. go to a club. Yeah. I would have also accepted, uh, you know, maybe the pilot episode of Chuck. They go to that. There's a lot of dancing in the That's that true. band is playing. But there wasn't it, there wasn't live music at this one. So I, I oh, couldn't okay. reference that one, of course. No, I, gotcha. I did, though. Another reason I'm tired is because I did attend a concert um, also in the L.A. area, specifically in Anaheim. So a more Orange County area on Friday night. And that was more like the pilot episode of Chuck. So Aaron is just a socialite, just blowing up the Los Angeles social scene. If you live in Los Angeles, maybe you've seen her painting the town red. <laughs> uh, I guess I have to do a really make a really strong effort right now to keep Aaron awake and keep her alert. And I know I'm not as exciting as the club, but I do have something that is quite exciting. All right. And listener, you'll just have to, I guess, imagine what this looks like. But uh, before we started recording, Aaron asked me to go through my my go chuck yourself drawer which is something that i do have it's a file cabinet that's located behind me where i keep all my go chuck yourself related things including uh my human monkey hybrid baby coco uh a vhs copy of agent cody bakes to destination london starring frank Muniz. Ooh, that, was, that was that was kind of an interesting one 
it was kind of like a Mario impression, but also kind of sounded like you were talking from the other end of a stadium. It was the first Frankie Muniz of season five. I wanted to make it really special. Yeah. Uh, So one of the things that I came across while I was going through it and ended up kind of being relevant is that I have here a copy of the uh, Maxim magazine from October 2011. So right when season five of Chuck was airing 10 years ago, exactly. uh, And it is one uh, Yvonne Strahovski, who is on the cover of this magazine looking uh, gorgeous as always. Would you would you describe that as um, what did what do you say? Crazy lingerie? Uh, I would have thought this looks like a swimsuit, does it not? I, I can't really see like the bottom. OK, yeah, it does look like a swimsuit. I couldn't see the bottom and it is kind of beige. So it does kind of blend in with her skin a little bit. Uh-huh. So she. Um, yeah, she. Good. The subtitle is Chuck's Sexy Spy Reveals Secrets and Skin. Uh, so uh, there are obvious reasons to purchase this magazine, I guess, when I did in 2011. I think I bought it from a 7-Eleven near our college, if I recall. That makes sense. Yep. So, so did you like know that she was going to be on the cover and you were waiting for it? Or like you just were there and you were like, oh, Yvonne? I would imagine that it would have been the uh, I would have just found out. I would have just saw that she was on it. I don't okay. think I would have known ahead of time. Yeah. Um, but I think, let's see if there's any kind of information that Yvonne provides about season five as we kind of embark our, on our own, uh, you know, journey into season five. I literally have not handled a magazine in so long. I'm struggling <laughs> to do this. Okay, so here's her article. She was also promoting uh, a movie with Robert De Niro and Jason Statham called Killer Elite, which maybe Killer- we'll have to watch elite yeah we watch might have one. to watch that let's see she's doing a q a <laughs> uh, okay. the first question to yvonne uh the interviewer said they say you've only truly made it in hollywood if you call robert de niro bob did you <gasps> did she i've called him bob so i guess i'll take that one off the bucket list listeners of go check yourself know that i also refer to robert de niro's bob you and Yvonne are on the same level. That's pretty exciting. We are on the same level. So now she's talking about Chuck. Uh, the interviewer says, you kick butt on Chuck. Do you have a martial arts background? And she says, not really, but I was a dancer from five till about 18. And it helps you remember the choreography. I did have to strengthen my moves a bit so they weren't so ba- uh, balletic. Interesting. Balletic. Word. That's, uh, yeah, that's not a word I knew. Pertaining, pertaining uh, to ballet. Our, our queen is just so smart. Uh, the interviewer says, it looks like fun to play Sarah Walker on the show. That's not really a question, but uh, Yvonne says, yeah, Chuck is a comedy action drama romance, and I feel like I get to play one of the best female characters on TV. I I mean, I don't think that's false, especially for the time. Any new gossip about the new season? So this would have been season five. And she says, now that Chuck and Sarah are married, there's a whole new dynamic between them. Also, Mark Hamill and Carrie Ann Moss are joining us, so it's pretty exciting to have them on board. And I, re- okay. Yeah? I don't know if I'd say Mark Hamill joins them. Mark Hamill is uh, present, I suppose. I hope he comes back. She, let's see, then they were saying, is this the last season? And she says, I can't believe we've made it this far. We've been on the bubble ever since we started, but our fans have really pushed for us to stay on air. Yeah, we did. It's nice to know that we're working towards a real ending that isn't like, uh, maybe we're coming back. Yeah, I'm sure that must have been a relief. 
Speaking of fans, you must have some obsessive ones. Have you gotten any strange gifts? Oh, that's a weird question. She says, I've received some pretty interesting poetry, like pages and pages and pages of type rhyming poetry. Chris, was that you? <laughs> Guilty as charged. Yvonne, your eyes are as blue as the the moon when it is new, I guess. I don't know. Beautiful. I'm not a poet. I think uh, you should have done um like the uh I always forget what it's called, the poem that like spells out something. Like it it would be it would spell out Yvonne. Uh, of course. Acrostic? Yes, acrostic. And then it would be like youthful. Um <laughs> very pretty. <laughs> One and only. <laughs> Not in my league. Never going to happen. Enjoy. Beautiful. So then it ends with uh the interviewer says, that's creepy. So your character on Chuck fell for a geek. Is that what you like or more manly guys? And she says, I'm into a mix of both. I like a suave dude with some geek. This is, I mean, like, that makes me, that makes me very, that interview makes me very uncomfortable. Okay, as it should. This is once again Maxim Magazine. It's not exactly the bastion (laughs) of progressive thought or feminism. Oh boy. Okay. I don't I don't for the record listener. This is not something I regular this was the first and only magazine of Maxim that I purchased and it was only because Yvonne was on the cover and I want to support her. I do not have that as a regular thing that and I do. I'm, I I would like to say I don't have a distinct memory of this, but I have to assume it occurred um that I we were we were becoming friends at this point as we established in a previous episode we are we have just blown past our 10-year friendship anniversary. Yeah. But at this time in 2011, mm-hmm. we would have been new friends, maybe in the tentative, like, new friends stage. And I'm sure I came into your dorm room and saw your copy of Maxim Magazine and was like, ah, this is my new friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I you did just... at the time, though, have a, a large poster of Katy Perry. Right. Um, and you may have had, I, I don't know if you had any bikini girls or if that was just your, your childhood bedroom that had those. Um, but I don't think my childhood, putting, putting I, don't you think on my, blast here. I don't think my childhood bedroom had those. Um, I had one nice, wholesome picture of a contestant from American Idol that I had a crush on, but she was oh, fully um, dressed. Was it, uh, was it Catherine McPhee? It was not. Okay. No. Who, who it was, was it? Uh, it was Christy Lee Cook, who was a oh, country okay, I remember singer. Her. Yeah. yeah, I had like this really huge crush on her. I would like vote for her. Like, I she was not really that talented, but I. Well, I had I was that in, relationship with Diana DeGarmo. So now that we've talked about my uh, proclivity for women from ten years ago, <laughs> let us embark on this business trip with Chuck and uh, Sarah. Casey, Morgan, Devin, big. I'm just going to name all the characters. Big <laughs> Mike, Jeff, right. Lester, and, uh, and that's Fernando, our show, friends. And Beckman, and Decker. Anything is possible. <laughs> all right. So you may remember from our last episode um, that Chuck versus the Frosted Tips ends with Morgan about to be a victim of a car bomb. Fortunately, this episode begins with Chuck tackling Morgan to the ground before he can get to what Chuck refers to as the douche cycle. He explains to Morgan and reminds us that the CIA knows Morgan is the intersect and has placed a hit out on him. Morgan tells Chuck, don't freak out, which I believe is our first DFO of the season. That's pretty exciting. But when Morgan's car does indeed blow up, he concedes that it is actually okay to freak out at this time. 
Down in Castle, Team Bartowski deduces that if they get the intersect out of Morgan, everything will be okay and the government will call off the hit. This seems to be the agreed-upon solution all episode, and the government seems to agree. Although I do kind of have to say, I don't think it works like that. And I feel like once, like, based on what I've been led to believe by previous episodes, like, once you know the secrets, like, they're going to come after you, even if the intersect isn't technically still in Morgan's head. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like there would be some repercussions, but apparently not. Beckman's just on board with Morgan going free. So to help with the getting the intersect out situation, the team calls in an expert who has never, ever failed at doing just that. That's right. They've called in our friend Rob Riggle back from his time falling out a cable car in Europe. But just kidding. They've actually brought in Beckman and some glasses. Uh, Despite the fact that he knows it's for the best, Morgan is a little reluctant to let go of the intersect. He asks if he can zoom one last time and we get a pretty cute scene of Sarah and Chuck just curling throwing stars at Morgan while he catches them in his bare hands and or teeth. Would it have been bad if he just didn't zoom that one time? Like if he was stressed <laughs> out and he couldn't do it and they just like seriously injured Morgan the last time yeah, that, that he was pretty zooming dark. in this mm-hmm. non uh, important <laughs> stuff. He's just kind of like uh, he, he loses an eye. He loses right, this, like half of his face. This moment of action that doesn't have any stakes. It's not life threatening. It's not a matter of national security. It was just him wanting to have fun and Yep, he can't, he can't do it. Yeah, permanently can't. damaged. Yeah. Uh, so he's he's satisfied um, and not permanently damaged. And he allows Beckman to take the intersect out to test that it worked. Casey immediately punches Morgan in the stomach. Morgan seems to feel this is fair and decides he's going to go apologize to Alex for being a dick. There's also a kind of side plot where Chuck is going to re-educate Morgan on all their favorite nerd properties. Mm-hmm. When he cites a few of them, like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Die Hard, Morgan says the things just sound like gibberish to him. Sarah says, it is. Beckman tells the team to, quote, stop playing with government toys. You have plenty of your own. We cut from this to baby yoga taking place in Chuck's courtyard, led by Devin, who is apparently now thriving as a stay-at-home dad. He tells Chuck that he's at 110%, something the Amazon subtitle censor and change to 100%. Apparently, they're sticklers for accurate math. While Devin is talking to Chuck and Sarah, Ellie emerges from her apartment on her way to work as a doctor. You may remember she is a neurosurgeon. She smiles and says she's one happy lady, but methinks the lady doth protest too much. Ah. I, I, I hate that I said that. That was that was disgusting. Almost as disgusting as this Maxim magazine that is right next to me. You can put it away. You can, please put it away. Put it back in the drawer. <laughs> For another 10 years, I'll put it back into the time <laughs> capsule. Apparently, the through line of this particular episode is that now that he's finally a spy like he always wanted, Chuck is feeling insecure about not being a normal person in a normal relationship with normal <laughs> friends. It's nice how he always kind of flip flops like back and forth on what he wants. I, I know that is the human condition, but in a show, come on, like commit to something, Chuck. <laughs> Also, like, how could he be normal when, as a 29-year-old man, he has rock band on full display in his living room? I'm not, I'm not saying that's abnormal in a bad way. I'm saying that's really cool, and you want to be on that level. You don't want to be normal and not have rock band in your living room. Uh, listener, you cannot see the wave of panic that just came across <laughs> my face after Aaron said that. I had to clarify. Do you have rock band? Yes. It's not on display in my living room, but... Um, there's certainly the, uh, guitar is in that closet. That's immediately (laughs) behind me, uh, as well as the microphone. And then the drums won't fit in there. 
So I have the drums in another closet uh, in my bedroom. Okay. All right. Well, that's cool. I'll be I'll be flying to New Hampshire. I have an awesome rock band set up. It's great. We talk regularly about how much we would like to have a rock band uh, in our living room and how fun that would be. So it's fantastic. You guys yeah. feel free to come. I have uh, no one to play it with, so I'm a one man band. You guys are always That's welcome true. to come join be, me. That would be hard living alone and just uh, playing rock bands by yourself. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's pretty pathetic. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> moving on with this episode of Chuck. Moving on. Um, Chuck and Sarah commiserate about their lack of normalcy, but eventually decide to make sweet, sweet love on the living room floor. Uh, that's exactly when Beckman texts them to report to Castle. As she debriefs them on the Morgan assassination attempt situation, Decker interrupts the Zoom call. At this point, Beckman reminds Decker that she's his superior, which is confusing and directly contradicts the previous episode. So I have no idea. The CIA structure seems to be in constant flux. So I don't know what's going on. They have to change it constantly. So like to keep it safe and protected. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, if they have all these intersects floating around, like their secrets are never safe. So. They got to do what they can. I think at this point is when Beckman and the whole team shout Decker, no decking Decker, (sighs) no decking until he fades away and goes away. I absolutely um, do not ship Beckman and Decker in any capacity, but I do like the idea that Deckman could be their ship name. (laughs) So anyway, apparently all assassins have been called off except for the uncontactable Viper who goes completely dark once they get a name and head off onto their assassination mission. Apparently, they've killed thousands and thousands of people, a fact about which Decker is downright gleeful. He shows, like, all the names on screen, and I legitimately, like, going back to our last episode, I thought that um, he was going to show, like, uh, Osama bin Laden's name on the screen or something. They don't go that route. Probably would have been weird if they did. (laughs) Um, But... The point is, the Vipers killed a lot of people. Mm. The team decides that the best course of action is for Morgan to just hang out in Castle until they can find the Viper and reason with them. Morgan is upset about this, not because it's very likely that he's going to be killed, but because he won't be able to go upstairs and apologize to people, particularly Alex. I thought that was pretty endearing. So back in the Bymore, Jeff is reading a book. I wasn't able to see what he was reading. Did you uh, find that in your research? It is Flowers for uh, Algernon. Okay, that's kind of cute. Which makes sense thematically. Yeah, it does. Uh, In the background, Lester is hacking the Bymore sales records to make himself the top salesman so that he can attend a sales conference, convention, business trip, reward ceremony thing in Riverside, which non-California residents um, should know is like around an hour outside of LA, maybe a little bit farther. Um, it's it's a California place. What's the deal with like, what's its whole thing? Like it doesn't, there's, there's a, it doesn't exactly sound exotic in my mind. You see Riverside is there. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a pumpkin patch somewhere over there. So you can get some pumpkins. Okay, so we have a college and a pumpkin patch. Presumably, there is or was a river that it's on the side of. Um, it's you know, it's it's around. So it's just a place, not like it's just a place. Okay, yeah, it's not like it's not like a resort town or anything. No, it's not. Um, as far as I know, if you're if you're from Riverside and I'm wrong, please please write in, because as we established, I can be wrong and often am. Might be wrong right now. Who knows? That's true. 
Um, something I'm not wrong about is that mm. Jeff tells Lester he thinks he's a bad person. So the next scene is uh, Chuck presenting Morgan with a bunch of DVDs, which, again, is like a kind of cute thing where Morgan is getting to re-experience all his favorite media properties uh, from a blank slate because the intersect situation kind of made him forget them. The thing that I have to note, though, is what the fuck is going on with these DVDs? They're all just bright green. They don't have, like, presumably they couldn't get the rights to anything but the titles. So they're just, like, these bright green DVD boxes that just say in big, bold letters, like, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, A New Hope, like, all, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't know what this is supposed to be. So the only thing that I could think of was that this kind of looked like back when Blockbuster existed, sometimes Blockbuster would sell like movies that they were no longer renting out mm-hmm. they would sell them like in the rental case. Cause if you okay. rented a movie from blockbuster, it wouldn't come yeah. oftentimes okay, in my fair. experience, it would come in like a blockbuster branded yeah. case, not the actual case. So in this case, no pun intended. Uh, it seems that these cases are like buy more store brand DVDs. Okay. All right. So I'm wondering if somehow the buy more lost the original actual cases for these DVDs and had to replace them with buy more covers cases so that is a lot um actually better explanation than anything i could have come up with i just kind of thought that they didn't have the rights and just like wanted to make it clear and legible what each film was and they did it in a really boring way but i like your explanation no you're absolutely right that's definitely what they did my explanation doesn't really make sense i'm just i think that they uh it would imply that the buy more has store brand version of movies <laughs> that are also the same name. Well, as I the mean, movie. it, it kind of makes sense because they don't um, plastic wrap their cases. There's no right. like, control. So uh-huh. maybe people take the cases, but leave the discs. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's everyone. Everyone knows the real money in DVDs is in the cases, not yeah. the actual content on the disc. Absolutely. That's why the can, Criterion collection is so popular. Right. You can pirate the movies themselves, but how are you going to pirate a case? You can't. You can't. You got to go to your store. You're going to local buy more and steal it. Chuck and Sarah head out, um, but Morgan is left behind in Castle with Casey. Morgan kind of kindly invites Casey to watch Star Wars with him, but Casey obviously has no interest in this. He does give Morgan a tip, though, to start with The Phantom Menace, (laughs) which is, I mean, like, I can't really talk shit about that because I, of course, started with The Phantom Menace. I was hoping Morgan would really like it, but um, that that was not to be, as we'll learn later. So Jeff calls Chuck from the Bymore and sounds so normal that Chuck is alarmed and doesn't understand who is on the phone. Once again, Jeff is not using contractions and just generally like Scott Krinsky's doing like, I don't know if this is like Scott Krinsky's normal persona or if he's just like kind of acting like a, a very straight, normal guy. Um, but it's it's kind of nice. I, I like the change. Um, they discuss the upcoming sales convention and how Jeff is concerned that a salesperson has not been picked yet to attend the convention. Also, Skip Johnson is in the background and has a beard. And he looks incredible. Did you notice this? I, yeah, they cut to him at some point, right? Yeah. He kind of has like a close-up shot. Yeah, and he kind of has like a... He's he's looking a little scruffy. He's looking good. So this whole conversation with Jeff uh, gives Chuck a little idea for how to deal with the Viper problem. Later, he holds a buy more meeting to tell everyone that they have publicly chosen Morgan as the top salesman to attend the conference. It kind of seems like... 
Uh, weird that they would choose the store manager since he's not really a salesman, but that also seems like the typical corporate bullshit that happens in these situations. Lester agrees and tries to incite a rebellion because this is basically like nepotism or like favoritism or some, some ism. Um, but Jeff is the one to cross this picket line and convince everyone that instead of rebelling, they should work even harder. Lester is not pleased. We move over to Chuck and Morgan, where Morgan seems to be making a Facebook post on his public Facebook account where he has an album about buy more work. And he's posting a picture about how he's going to this conference, presumably because the Viper is monitoring his social media presence. But then we learn that the plan is actually for Chuck to pretend to be Morgan since the Viper only has Morgan's name, not his picture. So it's a fun little sequence where they Photoshop Chuck's pictures over Morgan's pictures. Um, would you say that it looks better or worse than Chuck and Sarah's Photoshop pictures in Chuck versus the Suburbs? Wow, another throwback to another uh, earlier episode. Um, when I'm tired, I just start spouting old Chuck facts, I guess. <laughs> Every night when she's going to bed, she's just lying there and she'll be like... <laughs> Please let me sleep. <laughs> I wish I could sleep, but I'm just being accosted with memories of Chuck versus the Sandworm. Um... <laughs> I did uh, see uh, a trailer for Dune yesterday, by the way, and I saw the sandworm. Yeah? Yeah. So you're like, wow, wow. I got I to rewatch Chuck versus the sandworm now? Yeah. I, I didn't think I have to read Dune or I have to watch the original Dune. I thought Chuck versus the sandworm. That's all you need. That's true. I thought they did a good job with Photoshop, it seems. It seems that they they uh, put Chuck's face on a lot of Morgan's things and seems like it was a success. Yeah. Like the uh the software has really progressed from 2007 to 2011. I'm sure yeah. it was a little bit uh easier for amateurs to do. Sure. So down in Riverside, the convention is in full swing at some sort of poolside hotel. A misogynist Bymore employee named Crazy Bob, who's played by uh Dave David Kochner. He's a he's the a comedian who's been around. He was I recognized him. Um, he encourages everyone to mingle. Chuck and Sarah use this as an opportunity to touch as many people as possible, not because their marriage is getting stale or anything like that, but because the tech they're using is some sort of handheld lie detector where they need to, like, feel someone's pulse to send Casey information. And then I guess the idea is that if they're caught in a lie, um, they might be the Viper. It, it seems like uh, kind of like a a leap over there like it, that seems like it'll only work in very specific circumstances <laughs> and it's assuming that the viper is like a really bad liar um but that's their <laughs> system because a normal person at this party would never lie no and then i do not in in social situations with strangers i do not lie ever i always <laughs> tell the complete truth and i am exactly the version of myself that you see right now <laughs> to disastrous effects. And then the <laughs> yes. Viper would also never be capable of telling the truth. They would like, it's uh yeah, it's a little seems like a little faulty of a plan. Yeah. I thought, because like I was I was admittedly half paying attention to part part of this explanation. I thought they had like some sort of biometric scanner where they had the Viper's DNA and they were testing for that. Mm -hmm. Um, which like Seems like it would work better. Um, they don't have the Viper's DNA, which is fair. Um, but yeah, it's like it's some sort of lie detector hand test thing. So Chuck is uh, going about the poolside mingling and he meets two Bymore associates from different towns who are 
obsessed with their own deaths. Uh, yeah. It, this doesn't really come up again at any point, but they, I guess just to make Chuck nervous about his own death, like being a target for the Viper. I, I think that was what they were going for, but I agree that it was kind of weird. Uh, at this point, Crazy Bob uh, comes up and he offers Chuck and the rest of the guys shots. Chuck doesn't want to do the shot because he's afraid of being poisoned and everybody tries to peer pressure him into doing it. Uh, Crazy Bob gets like really serious and intimidating. Even the bartender himself is like, oh, please take the shots. They're being so annoying. Uh, until the uh, one of the Bymore associates who is obsessed with his own death uh, he's of Irish heritage and he takes the shot for Chuck. I'm not saying that because he's of Irish heritage that he's consuming more alcohol. That's just how I will. I will allow unfolded. this because you have some Irish heritage within you. I am also literally right now wearing a T-shirt for Guinness, which is from Ireland. I literally before this recording was planning a trip to Dublin to reconnect with my heritage. So we're OK. We can make what? these jokes. It's okay. You're just going to drop that on me? You didn't tell okay. me about that in a different capacity? You're just going to drop that into my, my plot synopsis? I'm going during... to Dublin, baby. <sighs> I told you about going to Chicago. I did. I picked the one that I thought would be more of you... interest to you. I see. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm a Chicago friend and not a Dublin <laughs> friend. Duly noted. As this is happening, Sarah does some mingling of her own and meets a nice nerd herd lady named Linda. After participating in a lengthy conga line, Sarah sees a professionally dressed woman sitting down on one of the beach chairs. She's holding a phone and she's looking concerned. Sarah rushes over to see what the problem is. Like she's <laughs> As the, you do. Like she's the character in a, in a video game. There's like the main character. She's trying to help a visibly distraught non-player character <laughs> for a side mission. The woman explains that she's fine. She just feels a little guilty about being at a party while her son is home with a cold. The woman introduces herself as Jane and explains that she feels like it's, she's been a wife and a mother for so long that she doesn't remember how to be a normal person. She recalls a buy more cookout from years past when she and crazy Bob convinced everyone to go midnight skinny dipping. Sarah bonds with this woman for whatever reason, until she sees Chuck get thrown into the pool by some green shirt. Sarah dives in after him. Chuck is of course fine, but everybody else at the party takes this as an invitation to jump into their pool with their clothes on. So the and cookout, I've never seen anything that looks more viscerally uncomfortable <laughs> than being in like a buy more uniform. Also, they don't have to be wearing those. Like, I feel like you don't. They're not in a buy more. It's kind of weird that they're wearing their buy more clothes. <laughs> right. That they've won an invitation to this event for being a top salespeople, but must only wear their work uniforms at yeah. this event. You can't actually relax at this event. You need to be dressed to uh, sell computers. <laughs> computer related services so everyone's jumping in the pool i agree everyone seems very uncomfortable they're probably very weighed down by all the layers of clothing that are now soaking wet upon them back at castle morgan finishes watching phantom menace and realizes that you know maybe he just doesn't like star wars anymore <laughs> he asks casey if he'd be able to help him mend things with alex but casey does not forgive nor does he forget he says he will do no such thing and then hands morgan the original star wars trilogy which Morgan is appreciative, but then Casey proceeds to tell Morgan all the big spoilers. Morgan is bummed, but he should be appreciative that this is Casey doing this to him, and uh, Casey is not, like, torturing him or doing anything physical to him. If this is all the torture that Casey's going to do, then I guess this is okay. I thought, <laughs> speaking of not torturing, I thought it was really nice that you didn't reveal any of the spoilers that Casey mentions. Because <laughs> some people listening to this might not have seen Star Wars and might not know those spoilers. 
<laughs> not going to lie, I did have a moment of decision making while I was writing that where I was like, am I going to include spoilers for Star Wars? And I was like, they're common knowledge for most people, but I feel weird as just, you know, they're... Well, of course, uh, of course, Casey reveals that uh, Ray is Palpatine's granddaughter. <laughs> Meanwhile, the sun has gone down at Riverside and Chuck and Sarah are hanging out with all their new Buy More friends, talking about how this is the best summer ever and they'll never forget this for the rest of their <laughs> lives. They all make a pact to always meet here again on the same exact <laughs> night a year from now. <laughs> and then they all sign each other's yearbooks. Uh, what they're actually doing is they're trading ridiculous coworker and customer stories, mainly about Jeff's experience with carbon monoxide poisoning, which everyone thinks is hilarious. They're having a grand old time drinking and... Um, Chuck and Sarah offer to get everyone another round. So as they walk away to the Tiki Bar, Chuck and Sarah talk about how much fun they're having and how nice it is to be surrounded by regular, honest people. Sarah says that Jane asked her out for a coffee and Chuck, in a moment of paranoia, shouts, She's the Viper! Obviously, the only reason that someone would want to be friends with Sarah is to kill Chuck. So Sarah is hurt by this and Chuck apologizes and says that he's just being anxious. To which Sarah says, No, you're right. We should focus the Viper has probably closed in on you by now. We should get you vulnerable. Yeah, talk dirty to me, Sarah. <laughs> get me vulnerable. Chuck then returns to the group of friends and loudly announces that he's going to bed, even though he literally just told them that he was coming back with another round. So apparently he just... <laughs> he's a bad, uh, bad friend. <laughs> Decided I'm not going to do that, guys. I'm going to go to bed. Uh, he... All the friends try to convince him to stay, but Chuck insists that he needs to lay down because of his sciatica. Crazy Bob says that he's also going to retire for the night and joins Chuck in walking away. Crazy Bob says that he has to call his family before bed. Now, one of his kids had a big game today that he missed. Chuck, uh, in a, a sign of being an empathetic person and a spy, puts his hand on Crazy Bob's shoulder. We find out that Crazy Bob is lying. Either <gasps> Crazy he Bob! Either he doesn't have a kid or the kid didn't have a big game today. Maybe it was like a midseason normal game that the stakes really don't matter. <laughs> we don't know what the lie was. Um, Chuck keeps his hand on Crazy Bob's shoulder all the way up until their <laughs> hotel room doors. From outside by the pool to in the middle of a hotel hallway, Chuck has been keeping his hand on Crazy Bob's shoulder. Doesn't really seem to bother him, I guess. He and Chuck share an awkward exchange as they unlock their rooms, but we don't know if it's a dangerous awkward or just regular awkward. Sarah has been sneaking behind them this whole time and lets herself into Crazy Bob's room just as Chuck walks onto his balcony and announces, yes, I am alone and vulnerable, which also happens to be something that I do on my balcony every <laughs> night. <laughs> Not trying to lure in an assassin. I'm just letting everybody know what's going on in my inner life every That's night. Fair, yeah. <laughs> which is recognizing that I'm alone and, yes, also vulnerable. <laughs> Crazy Bob says that he's been expecting Sarah and that he can tell that she, like himself, is hiding something. He specifically says that he could spot, quote, a girl wearing a costume a mile away, which is a weird choice of words, until he realized that he is a furry? He's a he furry! He opens his closet to reveal an Easter Bunny costume and tells Sarah that he's not letting her go anywhere until she plays around with him. As this is happening, Chuck is attacked by the actual Viper, the bartender. The bartender <gasps> tries to strangle Chuck as the two men flail around Chuck's hotel room before breaking down that weird little connector door that they have between hotel rooms that's always locked, unless you're like on this fun, cool group trip where you unlock the door and it's 
you're like, cool, this door is finally open. I feel so glad that we have this like super room. But usually if you're just like a party of one or two or three or four and you only have one room that that door is firmly locked. In this case, it's basically made of tissue paper, chuck in the Viper, barrel through it, falling onto Crazy Bob's floor. Uh, Chuck cries out, it was the bartender. Sarah kicks the bartender in the face, knocks him out. The next day at Castle, Morgan is anxious to leave Castle and resume his life above ground, but Chuck says that he can't leave until they get confirmation from the Viper, who is being held in an interrogation room, that the hit has been called off. Sarah says that they need to get Decker to rescind the kill order, but that Morgan is probably safe to go. Casey reminds Morgan that if he tries anything with Alex, he'll find himself on another hit list very soon. And then Casey goes into the interrogation room. Chuck, knowing Morgan is disappointed with the whole Alex situation, asks how he's doing. Morgan says that he just wants a chance to explain to Alex, but he doesn't have her new phone number, so he has no way to get a hold of her, at which point Chuck and Morgan see Casey's phone on a table. They both agree, almost without even speaking, that they should go behind Casey's back so Morgan can get in touch with Alex. Now, at this point, I thought that was really kind of deplorable that they were going to steal Alex's phone number from Casey's phone, despite Casey's explicit instructions not to do anything of the sort. But... To their credit, what they do is actually way worse. <laughs> Morgan texts Alex as Casey, telling her to meet him at the Buy More ASAP. Morgan, once again, is pretending to be Alex's father, texting his daughter, saying that he needs to see her immediately. Why do either of them think this is a good idea? I missed all of that. I don't know what I was doing. Maybe I was uh, fixing my notes or something, but I did not... Um that just did not connect with my brain. Um, and that sucks. That's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sarah overhears them doing this and just kind of lets them do it. Probably because she's exhausted from having to deal with this <laughs> shit all the time. Or maybe she just doesn't give a shit. She don't give a shit. Maybe she has something else on her mind. She asks Chuck if he's okay. If she goes out to meet Jane for drinks later and Chuck is supportive saying that if they could take down the Viper without the intersect, then they should be capable of maintaining normal friendships. Back at the Buy More, Devin is examining Jeff in the break room again for some reason. I guess this is just a follow-up after last week's physical examination. Devin comments on how healthy Jeff is, and Jeff says that he's been seeing things so much clearer now and shoots a glance at Lester, who is peeking in from the hallway. Ellie comes in to pick up Clara from Devin, and Devin tells her that Jeff would be the perfect subject for a case study on the long-term effects of carbon monoxide poisoning. I just have to say, I never thought we'd have to say carbon monoxide so often on this podcast. That's season five, baby. I guess so. Also, we're going to take this moment to remind our listeners that if you don't have a carbon monoxide detector in your home, you should invest in one. And if you do have one in your home already, you should make sure you double check the batteries uh, or make sure that it's plugged in properly because carbon monoxide detectors save lives. You want me to agree with you? Oh, are you good? Are you going to take the anti-carbon monoxide detector stance? Please, go ahead. I'm not anti-carbon monoxide detector, but I am pro-carbon monoxide. I think it's a cool substance. <laughs> no, that's what... Don't, don't say that at all. Carbon monoxide is not a cool substance. I, mean, I don't know it's... what you were doing at the club last night, but I'm very concerned about some of these new behaviors I'm seeing in you, Aaron. <sighs> so, anyhow, Jeff who once again is no longer on carbon monoxide and is doing better. He's achieved some kind of higher level of enlightenment now that his brain isn't poisoned, unlike Aaron's. He tells Devin that he perceives Ellie to be unhappy because she's not spending as much time with the baby as she would like. 
This is a real wake-up call for Devin. On the sales floor, Alex walks in and is immediately ambushed by Morgan and wants nothing to do with him because, once again, he pretended to be her father and via text message. He tries to explain himself, but she says that there's nothing to say and that Morgan is not the man that she thought he was. Morgan decides to cut to it and tell the truth about the intersect and what it was doing to his brain, leaving Alex speechless. Back in the break room, or actually a different break room, they're not in the same break room that they just were in when Devin was getting the uh, giving the examination to Jeff. They're in some other break room. Jeff is drinking tea and listening to classical music while Big Mike eats a bunch of cheese balls. Lester lurks in the hallway once again. Um, and this time, we see him bend over and thread a hose underneath the, the door. Sarah, outside the store, walks up, or she's walking to her car to go meet Jane. She sees Lester connecting the hose to the exhaust pipe of Jeff's van. And she and Lester make eye contact before she says, keep walking, normal thoughts, and she walks away. Down in Castle, Chuck tries to crack the Viper in the interrogation room by making small talk about being uh, small business owners. Gotta love Chuck, always looking to, to talk. Make a connection. Make a connection, that's what he's all about. The Viper doesn't say anything, and through a conversation with himself, Chuck realizes that they caught the Viper too easily, and that the Viper is probably still at large. He runs out of Castle and finds Sarah, just as she's getting in the car to go meet Jane. Chuck explains that, looking back on everything, Jane is actually pretty suspicious. And Sarah agrees and realizes that there's a bomb in her car. <gasps> Chuck tells her not to move her foot. We cut to the buy more where Jane, now decked out in all black and leather and looking like a badass, enters the store and asks to see one Morgan Grimes while holding up a photo of actual Morgan Grimes, not Chuck Morgan Grimes. No! Mere, mere feet away, Morgan is behind some of the unwrapped DVDs and explaining the intersex situation to Alex um, it's kind of unclear whether she's in shock because it's crazy or because she doesn't believe him at this point. Um, but he's doing a really bad job of explaining and kind of jumping all over the place. I understand it's a complicated story, but like, come on, Morgan, get get your act together. Um, Morgan is interrupted by Chuck, who calls him to tell him to keep an eye out for a harmless looking brunette in the Bymore. And I think this is actually pretty unfair to Jane because she's wearing really tall boots and black leather. And I think she looks like at least a little harmful. I'd say she looks harmful, but in Chuck's defense, he doesn't know what Jane That's looks true. like I mean, when she, she's in She looked remote. a little harmless in buy more clothes. Uh, yeah. So Morgan panics and uh, puts his hand over Alex's mouth without offering any explanation and just like drags her through the buy more, which when Casey sees this happening over the castle security camera, um, he is suitably freaked out, thinks that Morgan is doing it for less than uh, good reasons um, and is just trying to do bad things, um, which is a fair assumption based on um, what Morgan has just done with Casey's phone. Meanwhile, in the break room, Big Mike passes out from carbon monoxide poisoning, which is not something that I ever thought I'd say, but is what happens. Everyone else rushes out of the store. Castle goes into lockdown because of the toxin exposure. Jeff, um, the hero of this situation, realizes what's happening, rescues Big Mike, and brings him out of the store as well. Meanwhile, Chuck is trying to defuse the car bomb, and Morgan and Alex uh, don't run outside in all the commotion and just continue hiding in the Bymore, where Jane is also just calmly walking among the aisles looking for them. Alex and Morgan continue having a conversation where Alex reveals that, uh, I guess she thinks that Morgan was lying this whole time, um, but then when Jane is pointed out to her and she sees Jane's gun, she realizes that it's true. 
Morgan calls Casey, who helps him over comms to avoid Jane and hide from her, and eventually get Alex into a broom closet where Morgan confesses his love for her. He tells her it's okay if she doesn't say it back, which she doesn't. Damn right she doesn't. This is a wild roller coaster, and I would have been pissed if she said I love you too. <laughs> Back in the bombed car, uh, Sarah is beating herself up for being desperate for a friend. Um, while Chuck tries to defuse the bomb, Sarah calls Jane and pretends to be having a crisis. It's a it's a couple layers going on here because. Jane knows, obviously, that she has lied to Sarah, and so she she probably knows, she, she would know that Sarah is a spy and is pretending to have a crisis, but she doesn't know that Sarah knows that Jane is also a spy. So she's just kind of going along with it, but just kind of trying to get Sarah into her car. Sarah has, like, kind of a fun little line where she says she's been lying to Jane about who she is. Jane is a little bit intrigued by this, I guess. I I don't know what she thinks Sarah is going to say, but she at least stays on the line. Sarah says, I'm a spy, but the voice doesn't come from the phone. It comes from behind Jane. And then Sarah's there. She got out of the car. She puts a gun right to Jane's head. Blows Jane's head right off her shoulders. (laughs) Brains everywhere. dead. It was really dark. It was was pretty much like the time that that random assassin shot Emmett, and it was just really gruesome. (laughs) There's a little bit of a kerfuffle, which Chuck stops right in its tracks by stepping in between them. But unfortunately, uh, Jane is about to shoot him instead. When Sarah knocks her out, she like pistol whips her with the gun. Jane falls to the ground and everything is okay. Morgan pops out of, I don't, I don't really know what to call that, a storage container sort of thing. Yeah, it, was like a, it was like a trash can. Yeah, he pops out of a trash can dumpster kind of thing and says he misses knowing Kung Fu. Later in Castle, they have a Zoom call with Beckman and Decker. I know it's not actually Zoom, but I'm just going to be calling it Zoom for uh, the rest of the show. Decker says that the hit has been called off of Morgan and that Morgan is officially in the clear. He then ends the call by saying, see ya never, which causes Casey to refer to him as a quippy bastard. (laughs) It's not not inaccurate. I guess I would probably describe him as a quippy bastard. Like, I don't think he's good at quips, but he does kind of try. Right. In this scene, he's less evil and he's more of just like a little stinker kind of. Yeah, he's a little stinker. That's a good description of him. He's, he's very much like Swiper right now. They said yeah. no swiping. And he's like, oh, man. Oh, man. See you never. Returns back to the little tree that he was hiding behind, I guess. <laughs> uh, Sarah and Casey realize that Decker may have taken this a little too well. Not wanting to bother Chuck with this, uh, Casey just says he'll take care of it on his own. Back in the Bymore, Jeff talks to Lester, and he says that he wishes Lester were a better person. This seems like it might be the end of it until Jeff explains that he got Lester arrested so he can face repercussions for his actions. And the police come in and say that they're going to arrest him for attempted murder. So that's pretty serious, too. Um, I feel like... Definitely how I felt about this when I first watched it, and maybe it's the vibe they're going for in the show, is like, oh, actually, maybe this is going too far. Maybe Jeff, like, shouldn't be smart. Maybe it's just bad. And, like, aren't you're more on Lester's side in this betrayal? But I absolutely not. I think, like, Lester <laughs> did something reprehensible. He did try to kill his friends um, and should go to jail for that. He almost killed Big Mike. That's true. And I will not stand for that. 
Although I would actually, uh, now that you mention it, I would like to tell you something. I wish you were a better person. Uh, officers, you can come oh in now. Oh my god, they're here! They're taking me away! Alright, take her away, Bye. gentlemen. Uh, that's, that, I guess that's what it sounds like if I'm being dragged off by police. I just say, goodbye! One of these days. Something to look forward to. So back in the courtyard, Alex and Morgan have a little heart-to-heart in which Alex says she appreciates Morgan's new truthfulness, but because he lied to her and also just because of all this uh, drama, they're not going to be getting back together. She says, you're a hero, but you're not my boyfriend. But they can still be friends. Then apparently uh, she and Morgan head over to Chuck and Sarah's where there's apparently some kind of party happening. Usually when a party happens on Chuck, um, it's kind of like announced and telegraphed throughout the episode, but this just kind of seems to be like a a wine night with friends. While this is going on, Decker is on a video call with Jane. Like the little stinker he is, he gives approval for Jane to actually go ahead and kill everyone but Sarah and Chuck, um, presumably to protect her identity and to also just kind of like get rid of the... I, I don't know what Decker's deal is, but he's trying, he's trying to get all these people out. Um, Casey, though, is in an alley watching all of this happen, and uh, he steps out as soon as the call with Decker is over and just, like, blows everybody away. There's actually, like, you, you joked before about uh, Jane's head getting blown off and everything, uh, but, like, she's on the ground with her eyes open. Like, it's pretty brutal. And then you're like, oh, shit, does she actually have a son at home that's sick, that has a cold, that she feels yeah, bad about leaving? She, or was that just a lie? She probably does, and it, that's, that's a bummer. He's going to be motherless now. Jesus. So at the party, um, it's Alex, Morgan, uh, Chuck, Sarah, Ellie, and Devin, and they all talk openly about their days, which is actually pretty novel considering like some mm. of them are spies and they're able to talk about it. Um, as I mentioned to you uh, privately earlier, Casey walks in and jeans and a button down and he has big dad energy and he looks incredible. Um, never been more attracted to him in that scene uh, or than in that scene. There's a little uh, typical nice bonding to a sort of indie rock song, but that cuts out after about 10 seconds so that Sarah can make a toast about how she's happy to have friends. Devin also takes this opportunity to announce that he's going back to work um, and that Ellie is going to stop working and uh, go on maternity leave again. Um, it's kind of a nice scene in which uh, characters are making sacrifices for one another, but um, the practicality of it did bring up some questions of like, I mean, I'm sure this happens, and I think like U.S. maternity leave policies are a crime, um, but it seems like Ellie went back to the office for like maybe a week, and then she's going to be like, actually, this isn't working out just because like willy-nilly Devin is pretending to not be happy. Um, it, it seems like uh, it's going to be a complicated issue, but, you know, we don't, we don't have to deal with it, so it's fine. Morgan pulls Casey aside to tell him that he no longer has to worry about Morgan and Alex because they have officially broken up for good. Casey is apparently so enthused by this that he asks Morgan to move back in with him. I guess I, I don't I don't really know what's going on there. It's just practical, whatever. Um, then he has those same green DVDs and he gives he gives Morgan copies of Indiana Jones and uh, tells him that there's only three movies, presumably um, not admitting to the existence of Crystal Skull or the as yet unreleased um, next next indie movie. 
So um, Morgan will never learn about our good friend Mutt Williams, which is a shame. Then uh, Decker shows up at Chuck's door. Why is he there? Why is he there in the flesh? It's to arrest John Casey for murder, um, which is kind of fair because Casey just killed like 13 people. Um, (laughs) And the episode ends with another cliffhanger. Chuck versus the business trip. Chuck versus the business trip. Certainly a lot of business was taken care of. That's true. It's kind of like uh, the whole alleyway scene with Casey and Decker on the phone and everything. It was kind of like that one episode of Dora the Explorer where they say, swiper, no swiping. And he goes, ah, man. And then he goes away behind the tree. And then he, like, pulls out his phone and orders hits on backpack and map. But he's like, you got to keep Dora alive, though. Don't hurt Dora. But he, like he says, he's fine with the, the map and backpack and Diego and... um. Poor Diego. Well, actually, that's... I don't know if you've seen the live-action Door of the Explorer, but that is actually something that happens in it. Swiper orders a hit on yeah. all of Dora's friends? Yeah. Huh. It's it's dark. It's dark and gritty. Gritty. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, something else that I appreciate, well, we're going to discuss it in a moment, in Chuck, Mary Kill, when we take one part of this episode that we'd like to marry and one part of this episode that we would like to kill. Aaron, what would you like to marry? I thought that Sarah's struggle um, with making friends as an adult in her late 20s um, who is focused on her career and is living with her partner um, was very apt and relatable. Um, Are you saying that on behalf of a friend? Yeah, I'm saying that. It's just something I've heard. Someone you know is going through that. Okay, yeah, I, I yeah, someone I know. I, I obviously have never been through it because I am essentially right. attending events sure. all over the city of Los Angeles every time. Yep. Um, but I thought that was really well done. I think that sometimes Chuck struggles with the more like realistic, um, like they're they're trying very hard to have these um, like conflicts for Chuck and Sarah. And I thought that like, Chuck's kind of flip-flopping on whether or not he wants to be normal doesn't always work for me, but this kind of, like, Sarah really wanting to have a friend that isn't one of Chuck's friends um, seems like a valid concern, Um, and I really felt for her that um, the first person to show interest in a while um, was, was doing it for nefarious purposes, and I thought that Yvonne played it all really well. What about you? I really like the whole dynamic between Casey and Morgan and the DVDs and mm-hmm. how Casey kind of uh, showed some awareness of pop culture just in order to extract like passive aggressive, strategic, nonviolent mm-hmm. revenge against Morgan. I feel like it was funny, but also understated. I feel like it didn't they like didn't really play it up too much, but it was reoccurring and it was funny each time. Uh, I also appreciated how it came full circle at the end with Casey not telling Morgan about kingdom of the crystal skull as like a peace offering of sorts yeah. which was very compassionate of him and i thought it was a fun little way of combining the uh casey wants revenge on morgan plotline with morgan is trying to regain his pop culture memory plotline that was a nice little touch i thought so too what would you like to kill in an alleyway in an alleyway um i thought that well i enjoyed the concept of the business trip I thought that the way that these kind of twists were handled was kind of like not as engaging as I would have liked it to be. Mm -hmm. They kind of um, Chuck has a bit of a um, fear of the bartender initially because he sees him wielding a knife and then it's just kind of lime. 
So like they kind of have their cake and eat it too with like, they think that it might be the bartender, then they think it's not, then it actually is, then it actually isn't. They think that it might be Jane, then it's not, then it is. Um, I just would have liked there to be like a little bit more drama, a little bit more doubt. Like it it was pretty clear that it was going to be either the bartender or Jane right from the beginning. Um, it probably wasn't going to be either of the death obsessed Irish men. Um, and so I like, that's fine. Um, Chuck isn't like necessarily known for its like great twists. Um, but I would have liked there to be a little bit, um, although now that I'm thinking of it, making another reference to a, a episode from a previous season, um, Chuck versus the murder. Um, was they didn't really handle that like collection of characters uh, trying to figure out who is the killer very well. So maybe maybe we dodged a bullet here. But I, w- I was just kind of a little disappointed with um, how easy it was to pinpoint who the uh, who the Viper was going to be. Mm-hmm. So that's mine. What about you? I think uh, also at the at the resort or the business trip scene, I think the so i've i've been thinking about this and i think the like i don't know the i guess what we would refer to as the fetish shaming or kink shaming uh-huh. of the furry crazy bob as a furry um i don't think necessarily plays super well at least for me mm-hmm. and i i will say that i think that um it is i mean certainly uh i don't want to say accepted thing in comedy writing 10 years ago i think less so obviously now the people are a little bit more sensitive or at least aware to aware of those sensitivities and Mm. cognizant of avoiding them but i feel like uh kind of the final frontier for being able to make fun of marginalized groups or fringe communities in comedy was like making fun of people with different uh sexual or fetishes Mm -hmm. and uh obviously furries are low-hanging fruit and pretty easy to make fun of because of their particular uh, interests and the, I guess, surface level silliness of it. So um, I don't, I didn't, I didn't care for that, but it's also like, I don't know. I think they could have, it wouldn't have been that hard to figure something else out. Like they really didn't even touch upon why he was lying the entire time. Cause every, he was lying constantly, but that means he was only lying about, but I don't know what he was doing there. Like yeah. they could have thought of something else if he was like pretending to have a family cause he's alone or yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with comedy writing anymore and what's accepted and what's not. But uh, I thought that the furry thing was just kind of, uh, it was like, yeah, this is uh, not, not necessarily the best punchline 10 years later. I completely agree with you. I think that's absolutely valid. Um, I think I was watching that scene. I was mostly relieved because I thought, they were going to go in the direction of that he's actually queer and thought Chuck was trying to hit on him. And then there was going to be a little bit of a kerfuffle when he invited Chuck back to his room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so relieved that that didn't happen that I was like, oh, he's just a furry. They're just making fun of furries. OK, all right. <laughs> uh, we have fun here on Chuck. But um, yeah, I, the fact that they didn't make um, one horrible joke and made like just like a slightly less horrible joke um about fringe communities doesn't isn't really better um isn't really good so Mm. i agree i i'll accept that kill great glad 
Now we're going to be moving on to the scooter scale where we're going to be uh, taking out those corn dogs for this episode. We're going to have some poolside poolside corn dogs at Riverside. And maybe we'll have some some margaritas or Mai Tais on the side as well. Yard margaritas. Yeah, those look pretty fun. They did look pretty fun. How many many corn dogs and or yard margaritas would you give this episode? Uh, I'm going to give this episode two corn dogs and 0.75 yard margaritas for a total of 2.75 things. Wow. Okay. Um, I thought it was a little bit less. I mean, I guess like technically speaking, it's a little bit more than middle of the road. But I would say like a three is usually what I give for an episode that like is just fine. I mm-hmm. thought this was like a little bit less than fine in my book. All the things we mentioned with like the less than satisfying twists, the kind of like less than funny um, jokes about furries and whatnot. Um, the weirdness of the lie detector hand scanner gadget um, that wasn't really explained and Morgan's, um, I didn't even know this when I was originally writing my score because I blocked it out, but Morgan's like stealing Casey's phone. Um, all of those things I wasn't really a fan of. The things that I did like, of course, was like Sarah's kind of struggle, um, Jeff continuing to, um, be like smart and non-poisoned, um, is still funny and I still like it. And I thought that although it brought up questions about how practically it would work, I did like Devin kind of making that sacrifice for Ellie. I do have complicated feelings about the idea that um, Ellie cannot leave her home as a new mother and that she's decided that she doesn't want to do her career. Um, it That feels also kind of tired. So uh, it's complicated feelings about this one. It wasn't the worst episode by any means, but it was just kind of like a little less than average for me what about you i will uh i will differ from you i'm gonna give this okay. four out of five wow. i think this has been my my highest rated episode of season okay. five so far i think it reminded me of an episode in an earlier season thought the pacing was good and there was a good blend of action and humor and i feel like with the uh you know sarah's kind of angle about looking for friends or whatnot although i wish that she was successful in that endeavor um you know, I think that provided a little bit of uh, humanity or heart to the episode. I think it's hard to be frustrated at an episode that ends with a classic Bartowski wine slash dinner party scene. Thought that was nice. I think the twist with the Viper was, you know, wasn't the strongest to your point, but I thought it was like permissible. I thought it was like, OK. Um, and I'm glad that we were finally able to kind of see what's going on with Morgan and Alex mm-hmm. and explore more of Jeff's new behavior. And I'm also looking forward to seeing where things go next week when both Lester and Casey go to prison. <laughs> That's true. I hope they're in the same cell. Hopefully that would be nice. Is it like housing at a college when you get to request your roommates? Do you get to pick your roommates going to jail? Yeah, I think I think you do. You probably just have to like put down your like top three picks, right? It probably yeah. Because they, they that's, can't. That's what they do in Orange Is the New Black. I don't know how accurate that is, but that's what happens. Oh, okay. Uh, well, that's something that I learned. Something else that I learned this week. The lesson of the week, of course. What I learned this week, sometimes you think you want to hang out with the Janes, but in reality, you're better off hanging out with the Lindas. That's actually really sweet. That's nice. Um, mine, similarly, was that 
You can't have any friends other than your partner and their friends. Oh, that's that's nice. That's really sweet of you. Erin is wiping away a single tear from her face as she said that. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> look, it's hard making friends. It's hard. It's, it's how do you hard. do it? You know, it's, how are you going to do it? You don't have you don't have school. I guess if you have work that you can make friends at work. But I work from home. I too work work from home. <laughs> That's why I often go out to my balcony and shout, "I am alone and vulnerable." Yeah, I'm gonna to, I'm gonna probably try that out tonight. See how it feels. Yeah, you will feel vulnerable. It's a very vulnerable experience. So until then, next week when we'll be back, my name is Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy. My name is Erin Arana reminding you that I am alone and vulnerable and <laughs> anything is possible. Swiper, no swiping. Decker, no decking. Decker, no decking. Decker, no decking. Decker, no decking. Men are always right. That was last week's episode. Decker's no decking. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.